Today on the podcast, I am really pleased to have Mr. Dave Illich. Dave first gained notoriety touring with the American progressive rock band, the Mars Volta, in 2009 through 2010. Since then, he's lent his talents to Miley Cyrus, Justin Timberlake, M83, the 1975 Juliet Lewis, Big Black Delta, and many others. He's an established LA session player. Dave has performed on various records, syncs, and film scores for major, major motion pictures, including Trolls and Logan. He also conducts masterclass lectures worldwide and keeps a busy private teaching practice in Los Angeles. Dave has developed a reputation as the technique body mechanics specialist and has helped many of the industry's top players and educators expand their vocabulary, overcoming physical, mental barriers, and how to get out of their own way. His online digital course for drummers is called How to Get Out of Your Own Way. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bob. Happy to be here. Yeah. Now, the human on the other side of this microphone is coming from where? Uh, right now, I'm in, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I have a place up here, uh, but I mainly live in Los Angeles. That's great. And I believe, if I remember correctly, I, I happened to listen or stumble upon a podcast preparing for this, where you were talking to a couple of other drummers on their podcast, and you said that you bought that place in Portland as an Airbnb. Is that right? Yeah, I I, uh, I was just like, you know, LA is so crazy. And I came up here, I was doing a, a masterclass workshop up here in 2018. And, and it was the summer. And I was like, man, this reminds me of Sonoma County where I grew up. This is rad. It's like really cheap compared to LA. And I just sort of impulsively bought a house and Airbnb it and come up here to unplug and chill. And it's it's worked out really well. That's great, man. Yeah. So, so did you, were you born and raised in on the West Coast? Yeah, I was born in uh, uh, Santa Clara and I grew up in Sebastopol in Sonoma County, super small, hippie little wine country town. Yeah. So how, so were you always into music? Did you come from a musical family? Um, I mean, my parents both were into music. I mean, my dad would be playing jazz and Frank Sinatra and stuff constantly throughout the house. Um uh, but no one played, I don't think anyone in my entire family plays an instrument. Um, I just happened to, I was hanging out with a friend and I slept over at his house when I was like nine or 10. And he was like, Hey, I, I have a drum lesson tomorrow morning. And I just sort of hung out and then I was like, oh, I'm going to give this a try. And it just made sense. Like I could just kind of do it. And, uh, and so I wasn't like, oh, I want to play drums. Like I just sort of stumbled onto it and had a knack for it. And then as soon as I started doing it, I just got hooked. And, and I think especially when you're a kid, having something that has structure and is concrete and you understanding the dynamic of, of going, oh, well, if I work on this, then now I have this whole new skill set that I can use and it was just, I don't think I really consciously understood that paradigm when I was that young, but it gave me the structure that I really needed mm. during my childhood. And so I just got hooked and, and, you know, the rest is history. So did you grow up playing in bands in high school? Like what was yeah. that transition to being like a professional drummer for you? Well, I was really lucky, even though I grew up in a small town, my middle school and high school had, and actually the Santa Rosa Junior College, all are like great at the time, great uh, music programs. So yeah, I played in middle school bands and I jammed with friends and, um, you know, did all the stuff like a normal, normal kid does. And, and uh, I got out of high school and I went to the Santa Rosa JC for a year and then, you know, played in the big band there. And I was just like, sort of looked around. I was like, well, there's not really a whole lot that's going to be happening in Sonoma County. Like it's, it's a great place if you want to have like a normal job and get married and have kids, but I wanted to play music like for real. So I moved down to LA when I was 19 and next year it'll be 20 years. That's amazing. Yeah. So I guess a lot of people might be thinking, okay, why do you have Dave Elich, a drummer for, for Miley Cyrus and all these rock bands on your podcast? And so I just wanted to give the listeners some context because I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Cool. Uh, and I think it's going to be fascinating because I stumbled on you, uh, your name and your work and what you do by listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast. 
back. It was an episode back in 2018 when you were on there and you started talking. And uh, one of the things that I guessed attracted me to the podcast was you're a fan and and you've read Marshall McLuhan, which I'm a big fan of Marshall McLuhan. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, And then as more I I listened and read some of your stuff and watched you on YouTube, what I realized was even though you have this this aura of playing with all these famous bands and being this well-known studio musician, there's a whole nother side to you that you are able to bring in to your training and your teaching uh, and your online courses and just the name itself, how to get out of your own way. Yeah. Yeah, perfectly lines up with the stuff we talk about. So go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's getting out of your own way, but you were close. Yeah, <laughs> getting uh, out of your own way. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think that I think uh, how to get out of your own way was maybe the Tim's Tim's episode name. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I I've been teaching since I was 15. You know, I started teaching kids and. Um, and I've always taken it very seriously. I was lucky enough to have great teachers, mostly. You know, I had a couple duds here and there, but even in those experiences, you can still learn from them. Um, I was lucky enough to have really good teachers. And and I I think so much of this for me, for me personally, I I it all happen so naturally in terms of like how my brain works and how my nervous system works and how highly sensitive I am that I didn't really understand how I approached information and how I um, internalized it and how I sort of metabolized it uh, until much later. And I sort of had to reverse engineer everything because so much of this stuff was really obvious to me and seemingly not obvious to most people especially drum teachers and, and, and people in music. Um, so it, it's been a, it's been a, a interesting path trying to take, take this journey I've been on and relate it to music. Like something I've been studying for the last few years is like Alexander technique. Yeah. And that's something that when I started studying that, everything shifted into, I think when I was on Tim's podcast, I think I talked about wanting to study it, but I hadn't studied it yet. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm yeah. familiar with the Alexander technique because my, oh, daughter, my, my daughter is an actor. Great. So she studied in New York City. And when she came back, she was telling me all about the Alexander technique. She's like, Dad, you got to get this book. You got to read it because it's it's applicable, not just for actors, but all yep. parts of life. So well, I'm a little it, bit I'm a little bit familiar with it, but I'd love to to hear how it, it has impacted not only your own drumming but the way that you see life and you teach other people. Yeah, well, and also the things that you you are interested in. There's a massive psychological physiological component to Alexander technique, which is I think what makes it so special. I mean, there's other disciplines like Feldenkrais, which I think are valid and exceptional like and i really uh, think he was a genius as well but they're m- largely physical and the thing about alexander technique that i think makes it so special is he is fm alexander was brilliant enough to realize in the 19 like the teens and the 20s that the mind and the body were inextricably intertwined and mm-hmm. Uh, you, you cannot separate them. And so like when you're working with someone and how they use their body, capital U, um, they, you can't just talk about how like the, the machine is working. You have to go really deep into psychologically why things are happening. And, and, you know, a lot of times I'll be working with someone and I'll just say, Hey, look, even if you know nothing about Alexander technique, I'm going to lay a couple con- concepts on you. Uh, and I think just being aware of these concepts, even if you know nothing else about Alexander Technique, will help things fit into place a little bit more. Um, like, for instance, like end gaining, G-A-I-N-I-N-G. Um, you know, that's the idea that you're so focused on the end goal of, of something you're trying to achieve, achieve that you end up misusing your body in order to achieve that end goal. 
Um, and there's a million examples you can think of when playing an instrument, but I always use an example of like a guy at the gym with dumbbells that are way too heavy and he's like, you know, swinging his whole body trying to curl the dumbbell. So, you know, there's so many examples, but Alexander technique is, I think everyone should be studying that. Mm -hmm. I think the world would be a completely different place, especially with phones now. Like, Jesus Christ, these kids I see every day, it's just like their bodies look like question marks. It's just, yeah. it's, it drives me nuts. Um, so, you know, so for people who are listening and they're like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <clears throat> so <laughs> so FM Alexander was uh, a stage actor and he, and he had a one man show that was a Shakespeare show and he was an orator, so he would he would he would project his voice because there's no amplifiers back then, right? Uh, or speakers or PA's or anything. And so he got to a point where he started losing his voice. And the doctors at the time were like, "Oh, let's cut your vocal cords open or put leeches on you or <laughs> like what a crazy <laughs> shit." And uh, he's like, "No, I think I'm good." And he so he you know surrounded himself with mirrors and just observed himself, and he happened to be a total genius. And he came up with the, the Alexander technique, this, this method, the psychophysical method of one of my teachers calls it postural re-education. So what we're trying to do is, is, is become essentially like a three-year-old again before we get compressed into this habitual unhealthy use that modern post-industrial society forces us into. Um, that's a, that's a very simplified example of what it is. And so, so when I started studying it with Jean-Louis Rodrigue at UCLA and I started studying it with, with Sandra Dager, um, at the same time, um, maybe like 2019 or something, um, I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. Like, this is like, the, like, cause I always felt alone, like, because what I was doing in, in, in the drumming world was completely the opposite of what the entire history, uh, of of the way people were taught physically, especially. Um, uh, so I was everything essentially. There were several sort of guru type characters who had modeled a lot of use after Civil War drumming, like military yeah. drumming, right? And that is completely disconnected and separate from playing drum set in the twentieth or twenty first century. So. To me, there was a whole lot of disconnects in there that just made absolutely no sense. So I was coming at a place of zooming out, looking at the macro, going, how does the how does this body work? How does the mind work universally? Like, forget about the drums. Like, how does this thing work? Let's zoom out. Let's think about different contexts. Like, what happens when you're riding a bike? What I always ask people if they play sports because – that is a perfect analogy to use to get someone to understand a movement pattern, like how to hit mm -hmm. a bass drum pedal. You know, I have a lot of people crush, crush a cup because I go, because I just, I go, well, just, just stop on that cup. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm just crush the cup. And then they crush it. And, and I go, do you see how you did that? Like without thinking about it, like you locked your ankle, like you're riding a bike, like, um, and they, and a lot of times when I have people, do these things, they start laughing uncontrollably because it's so obvious because they've gotten out of the context. They're not looking at everything like right up close. They can zoom out and go, oh my God, this makes complete sense. Now getting, getting them to do that on the instrument take, takes a second. But, um, but when I started studying Alexander, man, it, it, it really validated. I felt like it validated me. It validated my approach. It reinforced everything because it was so in line what I was doing by myself was so in line with AT and, and both my teachers were like, you're the most sensitive person I've ever worked with. Can I use you as a model when I give lectures? Like, <laughs> but so it was, it was really, it felt really good. Cause I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like this is all, this is all making sense. Um, and uh, it's the last several years I've just been, studying that and reading up on it. And like I said, like Falvin Christ and other sort of similar methods. Um, yeah. So anyway. it's, ba it's basically making your body disappear from a sense of not it getting it back to its original alignment and awareness mm -hmm. and being conscious of it so that, you know, 
much of the the back pains and being mm-hmm. sedentary and like you said the modern life makes us so focused on our pains and dysfunctions that mm-hmm. uh, we can't do the things that you know we need to do and in your case it's like i can imagine how using your body in improper ways behind a drum kit night after night can really cause long-term discomfort and and even pain for a lot of drummers, right? Oh, it's rampant, especially people. It's actually much worse with people who are gifted, um, ironically, which is counterintuitive, Mm. right? Because if someone, because what happens all the time is I go, you know, I have to, I have to work with, with, you know, touring pros. I just gave Trey from Green Day a lesson the other day. I have to work with people like that all the time who are starting to get older and going, oh, this isn't working anymore, right? And so people ask me, well, what about like Buddy Rich? Like Buddy Rich is, you know, one of the greatest drummers of all time and he had unbelievably horrible posture. Like it was Mm. really bad. And I have to have this conversation almost daily where I say, Buddy Rich is the definition of what it means to be gifted in that he could he could pull off what he could pull off in spite of his poor use of his body, not because of it. Right. That's the definition that he was so gifted. He could find workarounds for having like several kinks in his hose, so to speak, and like still being able to pull it off. And, and, you know, some random sort of normal person is not going to be able to do that. So this is what I'm saying. Like just that, right there, that conceptual awareness, philosophical awareness, that kind of thing, at least in drumming and music, I think very, very, very few people, let alone very few teachers think in that way. Mm, that's and I feel good. like, I feel like that's the kind of service I'm really providing is this macroscopic philosophical approach. I just think a lot of people just, just don't, approach things like this, you know, everything that you're interested in. I think a lot of people just don't think that way. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is exactly. Well, the way, the way that I would say it, what you, I, and many other people that I, that I, that I respect and I have on the podcast and others is that there's a desire for self-awareness. And I think what the unifying factor is being awake and alive to yourself to the world around you, to the media and environments you engage in and live in, whether it's a stage playing drums or sitting behind a computer in an office, those environments, and and again, not to sound too McLuhan-esque, but those environments, they shape you physiologically, mentally, and I I would even argue spiritually, to the point of which if you're not aware of those things and you're not awake to those things, then you become just a product of those environments versus those of us who are trying to stay awake and be aware of our bodies and our environments, it allows us to, like you said, zoom out. Psychologist calls it metacognition. Like, can you observe what you're thinking about? Mm-hmm. Um, can you think about your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a game changer because honestly, that's what good therapy simply is, right? Like you pay someone to talk so that they can help you to see, oh, here's where my thinking is off and here's where I need to realign. So I think that's what it's about. It's like people like you and others who are trying to be self-aware enough and be awake and alive to those things. And it's beautiful because it can affect every part of your life, no matter what you do, whether you're a drummer or a psychologist or a truck driver or on and on it goes, Mm -hmm. it, it can radically change your life. So I think to me, that's that's the common thread, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And something that I've been—I feel like a broken record—but I've talked about this on so many podcasts and, and interviews I've done in print, um, and obviously teaching. Like, I have to explain, like, the medium is the message to people, <laughs> and I've been doing that like pre-Instagram. Um, and you think about this evolution or de-evolution, whatever you want to call it, from McLuhan talking about uh, print and television largely to Neil Postman talking about television largely and a little bit of the Internet. Um, and then now I don't 
I don't know if anyone's really carrying the torch for them now. You, you, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. No, but, I, I think it's something that Andrew McLuhan and I have talked about and wanting to push that forward because, you know, to your point, um, I think musicians of all people should get this intuitively people in the arts. I was listening to Jack White talk recently on a podcast. Mm. He's an interesting guy. I don't know if you guys have gotten together, but you probably no. it'd be interesting to see his perspective. But one of the things he was saying, which is very central to this conversation, is he was saying that judging music by the notes and the ability alone is not what it's all about. It's like, you know, jazz guys, they're like, oh, those rock and roll guys don't, you know, they don't have their licks and they only play a few notes and you know, the, the, the rippers on the guitars are like, oh, the punk rockers play three chords. Mm -hmm. But if you only judge things like that, it's like going and seeing a, a piece of a master modern art and going, oh, I could do that. Well, actually, no, you couldn't. Right. Um, because right. there's a whole nother, you know, punk rock is about energy. It's about the chemistry. It's about the dynamics. Yeah. The dynamics. And so, yeah, it's three chords and it might be easy to play, but when you saw the clash back in the day, or you saw the sex pistols, mm -hmm. it was out of tune. It may have been off time, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the energy and the chemistry that was there. Um, and to me, that's kind of bringing it back to, you know, the medium being the message is it's not, the notes necessarily and all that it's actually you know what is being communicated is actually the context of it themselves so anyway i know i broke into the middle of your thought process but i would think that musicians would be it be easier to to really see that and understand it you would think but not really i mean, <laughs> I mean the closest I, I see people getting is going uh, musicians of all stripes and colors and sizes saying, man, I'm really tired of being like a content creator. I just want to get mm. back to playing, writing music, playing music, and that being my job. I'm tired of like having to constantly put up shit on social media. And, you know, going back to what I was saying before, when I was talking about, uh, like I said, I've been talking about this for a long time, trying to hip musicians to the, to these concepts and what I was saying with Instagram for so long is with uh, you know, up until very recently, there were it was a minute cap on a video you could put up. So right there, like you have to package something that fits inside of one minute. So inherently, you're not going to be able to do anything that has any type of subtlety or or or. Um, Anything that's going to take time to express, um, it has to just be like this shotgun thing that is low vibrating, very easy to understand and absorb. So, uh, you know, and, and let alone like stories, which are 15 seconds. So that teaches everyone to think in a very encapsulated, shallow way. And this has been going on for 10 or 15 years at this point. And um, I was giving a lesson to a kid. I don't really teach kids, but I've been teaching this one kid for a long time. Um, so I just, you know, he's great. His parents are great. So I keep teaching him. And, um, and grunge is coming back around now, which is just hilarious. So he was <laughs> like, I want to learn like, he's like 15. He's like, I want to learn like this Alice in Chains song. And I was like, hell yeah. And so... <laughs> And so I pulled up like a video of them doing like the unplugged MTV show. And, and, you know, he's like, Whoa, that's what that guy's looks like. Or like, wait, hold on. I thought there's two guys singing. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's Jerry Cantrell. And this is Lane Staley. And, and he's like, Oh, this is crazy. And so he comes back the next week and I was like, Hey man, did you like pull up any other videos of them playing? So you could kind of, you know, see what was going on. And he was like, no, they're not getting recommended to me. So I don't watch them. Whoa. Yeah. Like <laughs> if we're at a point now where kids are too lazy or don't even think about the act of searching for something in a search bar, like, oh no, whatever gets thrown at me. I mean, that's the most concise example of medium is the message I could ever even think of. Um, and you've got to think McLuhan and, and Postman are just turning in their graves. 
Yeah. Uh, well, try to try to, I bet it'd be fun to try to explain to him the Dewey decimal system and library cards, right? <laughs> well, and that's enough. I always feel like an old guy being like, get off my lawn kids. Cause I'm like, Dude, when I, when I was a kid, I had to go spend $15 on a CD hoping that it was good. Yeah. And sometimes I didn't like them, but then I just listened to them anyway because it was $15 and then I ended up liking it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, it, and like now I just go, you have everything is at your finger. I was like, dude, when I was growing up, I couldn't find videos of like anyone. Like there were a couple VHS tapes at the store who were like Chad Smith from the Relat Red Hot Chili Peppers did a drum video. But like finding like videos of like Tony Williams or something, someone like maybe uh, a little bit more obscure, like Yogi Horton or something like you couldn't do that. You just had to listen and you couldn't slow shit down either. So you <laughs> had to like listen and, and, you know, it's just, it's, uh, what well, I would love to get your, you know, along this vein, I've, I've been wanting to ask someone this and, the, and you're the perfect person. It just came to mind. I have a little bit of music in my background. I played in, in bands back in mm -hmm. the day, a best bass player. And so I still have friends here in Nashville that, that still do music. And so every once in a while, I'll search or someone will send me a video. And I'm blown away at the talent of some of these kids. You see these like sure. nine-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, yeah. like doing this incredible guitar solo, Eddie Van Halen, note per note, or, yep. you know, playing Getty. This, there's this girl, she's got to be nine years old, bass player, playing all these Getty Lee riffs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that is the result of either there's always been people like that, but now we're able to see them easier or as I think that maybe this access to everything and the ability to it's at your fingertips that they could figure these things out because back in my day, like I never had a friend who could do a Rubik's cube in a minute and a half. Right. It's like yeah. a kid down the street did one in, in, you know, a day, like right. that was huge news. Right. And I've seen, I've had kids in my home with my, with my kids, you know, like yeah. doing Rubik's cubes instantly. Do you think there's a, do you think there's a more and more of that? Cause you see well, it with kids that plays drums. Yeah, I think it's both. Um, and I forget what the name for the concept is, but it's like, uh, you know, once someone breaks like the four minute mile, then two other people do it a year later. Right. I forget what the name of that concept is, but it's that type of a thing, that type of a thing if you want to take it to its logical sort of conclusion. But yes, I think there are always people like that. But now, but now that everything is out there and, and also for the good or bad, not only do you have all this information accessible, like you don't have to go to a library, you don't have to like go buy something, you just Google it. It's just right. There's like several, there's like all these different little things that stack up, right? So like the information is available, it's easily accessible. You also have people who are teaching things. So if I brought up, hey, I want to learn this thing, this, I don't know, like Buddy Rich thing, some of my teachers could have been like, oh, it's this. Some of them would have been like, dude, I have no idea. Now you Google it and someone is like, oh, this is how this goes. Let me break it down for you, right? Now, unfortunately, most of these internet personalities are complete trash, uh, most of them. Um, and they're teaching people to think, and like I said, in a very shallow way, it's the same thing that happened to journalism. Journalism went from being journalism to listicles. Right. So everything right. now is just like top. Like I, I, I had a there's a someone was interviewing a, a friend of mine who's a fantastic, fantastic drummer, very intelligent guy. And and he was really talking about like some really heavy conceptual stuff. And the guy who's interviewing him interrupted him. He's like, cool, cool, cool. So like, can you give me like top, your five top uh, best ways to get a good snare drum sound? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, God, like, oh, you know, so they're teaching people to think a lot of teachers online are just showing people licks. Here's yeah. this thing. Here's the fingering. And you're just you're not teaching people again because of the medium and because these people just don't think like that to begin with, like conceptual approaches, philosophical approaches, because the medium. No one's going to sit there and watch a video longer than a minute, even a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And I watch some of these kids and they're, they're amazing, but I, but I wonder, um, 
also is like, where do you progress? Um, first of all, like if you're 10 years old and you're playing, you know, Getty Lee riffs on the bass and, um, you know, you, you're, you know, just blowing people's minds, like, where do you go from there? And, yeah. uh, I guess the other thing is, is, you know, getting it technically down, but removing, removing the friction. I wrote an article about this mm-hmm. recently. It's like in, in marketing, uh, in digital marketing specifically, we talk about removing friction, meaning like Amazon is the, is a master of this, right? Like mm-hmm. the one click purchase. I know exactly everything. It's smooth. It's not frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's fast. Mm-hmm. They remove friction. And all of our social media platforms have done that too. It's relatively easy once you get it down to in yep. fast. So in a world where we are in an environment, a media where we are constantly removing friction, mm-hmm. um, what is that training our brains to do in real life? I.e., if something is hard, if I must sweat, if I must go through difficulty, if I have to be patient and wait, that's something like we've talked about earlier that's baked into art and good um Good art, good writing, good acting, good music. Well, you had to go. You had to go search shit out. You had to right. go to some crusty punk club in the basement somewhere right. that you just heard about for some from some friends. You know, like now you have kids on online, like not actually socializing at all. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that's why COVID was so horrible, right? I mean, especially if you're a kid. But um, you know, I mean. There's also the whole idea of automation, like all that Daniel Carr yep. stuff. I mean, uh, you know, the shallows and the glass cage. I mean, that stuff is is terrifying. You have pilots who can't even fly planes anymore mm. because it's all automated. And, you know, there's a million examples we can think of about things being more automated. I mean, you know, the really easy example is is not knowing how to not knowing uh, uh, where you are anymore. I mean, if you close your eyes, you can you can think about your childhood home and walk out the door and take a right and take a left, and you can, you have that in your brain still. But like many people, because of navigation apps, they might live in a city for five or ten years and have no idea where anything is because they're not using that part of their brain. And, and so, I mean, I feel like I constantly have like early onset dementia. <laughs> You know, because because of these because of these yeah. phones, you know, it's it's awful. Um, you've outsourced you've outsourced those pieces of of your brain to something outside of yourself that's rapidly becoming an extension of who you are. Well, so, and there was that, and there was that whole premise that sort of a theory that is was definitely false now, where people were talking about in the eighties and nineties, like yeah, your brain's like a computer, and like these are great because you can offload everything that will be bogging down your CPU, and so that leaves your brain like that much more open to do all this other work. It's like that's not how it is at all. Like <laughs> you're actually stop using the the structures of your brain to to recall information, and they atrophy and die. It's the opposite of that, you know. Yeah. Like people God, keep- it's a- Keep comparing the brain to a computer. It's like, stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And what I noticed uh, about some of the things on your site was just that. It's getting back in touch, being awake, being alive, get in touch with your body, like you said, the Alexander technique. But one other thing, Dave, that I thought was kind of interesting that says a lot about who you are and kind of where you are in your life is I you have a whole section on your website, which is book recommendations. Yeah. And you have them broken down in different headers. And mm. I'm just going to read under each header. Under the philosophy, critical thinking, and media heading, you had almost 123 books. <laughs> and the life and relationship heading, you had 23. In art, you have 22. In fiction, you had 76. And in music, you have 12. So <laughs> I found that fascinating because in the section the big one the philosophy critical thinking and media you had everybody from eric Fromm to neil postman which you mentioned malcolm gladwell ken wilbur um marshall McLuhan, and you had a couple of books by McLuhan, by the way mm-hmm. so that's that tells me a lot about who you are and i think it's fascinating that for you philosophic philosophy, critical thinking, um, and just understanding media in general is so central 
to not only your understanding of the world and your career, but also how you teach others. Would you say that what percentage of, of your teaching is actually biomechanical and how much of it is not that either, you know, it's psychological or philosophical, et cetera? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, yeah, it's, I have a lot of books I still need to add to the book. <laughs> um, but it's funny, people think like, oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of books, book or music stuff. And I actually, I don't like reading music because it's like, that's what I do. You know, like there are certain hit hits like the Miles Davis autobiography, the Quincy Troop book, which is like, or the Phil Collins book, everyone should read those. But yeah, I read, I read to get away from (laughs) music, you know, like, but it's funny on the surface, it's counterintuitive. Um, But, but what I, but what I love about it and here, here's why I wanted to have you on, on the podcast was it's not like, okay, here's my music life and I'm going to teach you how to be a great drummer. Right. And in my private life over here, I'm going to go do all these things. Right. Um, you you genuinely, and maybe I'm, uh, hopefully I'm reading you correctly, you see that as not only integral, but also really, really important to understand these things in order to be the best version yeah. of you. And then this, in this case, drumming. Yeah, you got to walk the walk. You know, it's like, it's like when you're, when you're meditating, if you think that the point of meditating is to sit in a dark room for 10 or 20 minutes and stop thinking, and then you're done, the timer goes off, and then you go live your life as a separate entity, you're missing the point entirely, right? The, the, like the point is to access some sort of state that is trans, you get a glimpse of transcendence, and then throughout the day, it's going to be easier for you to plug back into that if, if need be. Mm. Or just take a second and go, okay, hold on. Like, let me make sure I'm not just going through the motions and I'm on autopilot. Let me be, this is all about being present, right? That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and so going back to your question earlier about uh, is my teaching mostly uh, physical or mental, essentially. Right. Um, over the years, it's gotten progressively more philosophical, psychological, mm-hmm. especially the more I've studied Alexander Technique, uh, for sure. Um, and there's certain conversations, like I had taught someone the other day over Zoom, and we just spent the entire lesson talking about breathing. Mm. And ironically, the guy was a respiratory therapist as wow. a day gig, and he didn't have the first clue about how to breathe properly. And he was so disconnected from his body. And, and again, like to sort of answer your question, like I'm trying to save people time. Mm. Like I'm, I've worked really hard on, on myself and there are certain things that I've discovered along the way where I go, God, man, I wish I would have figured this out when I was younger. It would have saved me so much time, whether that's therapy, things to do with relationships, like attachment theory. Someone would have told, like given me a book when I was 15 going, Hey, this is attachment theory. Like, just be aware of this. That would have changed my entire life Mm. completely. Um, certain psychedelic experiences I've had, which, you know, I don't talk about often because there's a gray sort of line there. And it's also like, I don't want someone to sue sure. me. Um, but, um, you know, they're like, that's what I'm trying to do. Like breath, breath work. Not that I'm an expert with breathing, but I know enough to take someone who's paradoxically breathing or clavicularly breathing and they're all screwed up and to go, Hey, look, now you're just like on the right track at least. Um, so, you know, it depends on the person. I'll have people come in where I'm just like, oh my God, like they're physically like a mess. And I'm like, okay, we have to like <laughs> have to get this stuff figured out like immediately. Um, it de- totally, it really depends on the person. I, I think for most people who are in their thirties, forties, fifties, um, who are professional musicians touring, a lot of it's physical because they're doing that every night on stage. Um, and, um, and then once you get that stuff out of the way, I talked about this a little bit in Tim's podcast, like what happens when, if you're on a pop gig and you're playing the same show every night, Mm. you start to go a little cuckoo bananas. 
you know, because because your brain is just bored. It's like, come on, give me, give me, give me. This is the same thing. I'm bored. And it's like, okay, well, what if you forget this part? Like, it gives me something to do, right? And that's a whole other thing you have to, like, so I walk someone through. So to sort of answer your question, like, it it, it depends on on who I'm working with, really. And then, like... I have, I have a few people who hit me up, like taught someone the other day who's like just playing for fun, has their own business, they're successful. Like I always wanted to play drums. My parents wouldn't let me. I'm in my 30s or 40s and now I can finally do it. I'm like, great. Like as long as you have a space to practice and you practice and it's not like, okay, let's do the same thing we did last week. Like I don't want to do that. Like as long as they're into it and they're having fun. Like I taught someone the other day and I got them playing along to back and black, like the first lesson and like the look in their eyes, like, Oh my God, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> like, that's awesome. I don't need to teach like the best people in the world all the time. As long as someone wants to put in the work, that, yeah. that's all I care about. What's uh give me one example. Obviously don't, don't name names, but the biggest breakthrough and change that you've seen in someone as far as a transformation? Um, it's a good question. Well, I had a guy, um, I had a guy where I was working with him early on, like years ago and he plays in a really big band and he's like, Hey, we have to go out on tour soon. And I'm physically just wrecked. Like I don't like I'm in a lot of pain uh, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't even started the tour yet. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, kind of what I do with most people is I just go, okay, let me sit down, put, put everything where you have it, not where you think I want it to be. Cause that's a whole other thing we could talk about is that the, the drum set as an instrument itself is just, you're starting off as a, at a disadvantage. Cause it's, it's not like guitar or bass where it's like, well, here it is. Like drum set, I mean, they called it a, a, a trap kit, short for contraption, back around the turn of the century because right. they cobbled together all these disparate, disparate instruments. So, just the setting up of it is is a, a nightmare for most people. They don't know that, but anyway, so I'll have them set it up roughly where they have things and start playing, and I can see immediately within a couple seconds, one or two seconds, like what's happening. Um, and so, being someone that's another concept that's really been life-changing for me is understanding that I was a, a highly sensitive person, a la mm. like Elaine Aaron's work. Um, because if I'm working with someone who's holding a lot of tension in their body or their breath is, is, is uh, uh, they're holding their breath or something like I have, um, I feel that in my body, like viscerally, like a, like a, like a pressure cooker. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm able to work with people. Cause I'll be like, relax your tongue or, or like, are you flexing your butt cheeks or like, and people are like, how do you know that? And I'm just like, I can feel it. Mm. Like, I'm not, they're like, how do you see that? Cause I'll do it over zoom. And I'm like, I'm not, it's not me seeing it. Sometimes it is, but it's mostly me like feeling it because I can pick up on these things consciously. Mo everyone else can as well. They just pick up on them unconsciously because we communicate mostly non-verbally as, as, as humans. So we can all pick up on this stuff. It's just unconscious. So where it's just someone walks in a room holding tension and you're unconsciously like, ah, oh, this guy's, I don't know about this guy. You know, like this guy makes me uncomfortable or I feel really relaxed around this person, you know? So anyway, circling back around, this guy starts playing and he's, he's um, doing all sorts of very common physical stuff that are messing him up. And so we did one lesson and I, and I uh, addressed maybe two, two or three of the things and he went into rehearsal the next day and they start playing <clears throat> and the bass player, he'd probably been in the band around 10 years or something at that point. And the bass player walks up to him and he's just like, what happened? Like, what did you, what did you do? And he was like, uh, what do you, like, what do you mean? Like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, you sound incredible. He's like, your, your pocket's like way further back and it's like way greasier. Like, what did you do? Like the bass player had no idea that he took a lesson at all. He just immediately felt the difference. Wow. Because if you're holding all this tension in between the notes, 
you're hogging up all the space. It's like being like laid out in a bed, you know? And I was like, there's no room for anyone else in the bed. And now that you've relaxed, there's more room and the bass player can lay in there with you. And, and there's space for him that you're not hogging up anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then the singer and the guitar player, everyone's like, dude, it sounds amazing. Like ne you never sounded better. They don't know what happened, but, but they can feel it. Um, and so, you know, now he's going out and playing for, you know, whatever, 100,000 people every night, like, and also as a bonus, not physically destroying himself. Mm. You know? I, I, I've read, I've read interviews um, about Larry Mullen from mm -hmm. U2 yeah. and talking about how much pain the poor guy is in. Um, obviously, he's been doing it forever, but you know, having to get back injections and all. Well, that's the other, that's the other problem is this is the real reason why I do this. And because good information is not out there. Mm. So people get messed up physically and then they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, Oh yeah, we'll give you a cortisol, cortisone PRP injection, or we'll cut you open or we'll give you pills. And like, or like a chiropractor, none of that shit works. Uh, and much of it is permanent and dangerous. Um, so that's the problem is that's why I do what I do because I'm offering a service to me that works and is safe and it's like valid information because, you know, so much of what's out there is, is, is dangerous. Mm. Uh, and so I was teaching this bass player who plays, um, plays in a lot of like huge bands because I was teaching his son drums. And he was like, I've seen all these really positive changes in my son since he's been studying with you, like the way he carries himself and the way he's acting. I want to check it out. And so I was like, okay. And so I started giving him a couple lessons and, and he was like, I can't even reach to get a glass of water uh, because my arm is so messed up. And I was like, okay, when was the last time you got a massage? And he's like, oh, never. And I'm like, and you're in your fifties. He's like, yeah. And so this is a huge thing is musicians don't understand, it, mm. especially drummers. And so everyone, you know, you, you, you play a show, you have a pizza, you drink a beer and you get in the, you get in the bunk and you do the same thing. And, and eventually what happens is you, you build up all this scar tissue. So that guy, that bass player, I, I was like, okay, you're, you're not taking care of yourself. You've never gotten myofascial work. And he has a doctor who is a quote unquote friend of his who's been giving him PRP injections, which just mm. adds scar tissue onto the scar tissue that's already there. And so like, you know, that that's a perfect example. It's like, he's trying to get help and the, and the guy's making it worse. And so whether you're talking physical or psychological, that's why I do what I do because I was talking to a teacher at a really famous music school the other day. And I was talking about how so much of the information from a lot of these like schlocky, guru self-help life coach characters is bad like damaging yeah. misinformation and and he was like well and i was getting really worked up and he was like well you know i mean i don't know i i just don't get as worked up about this stuff as you do and i'm like that's a problem dude <laughs> you know like i get really i don't know what it is about my personality but like if someone like I have people come in to study with me and they like there's this one guy who's a teacher and he's been teaching for 30 years and he studied with one of these famous guys. And if you're a drummer, you would know who he is and he's dead now. And he was telling people to put phone books under their arms to put their elbows in on purpose. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're literally putting people in straitjackets. Mm. How are they going to use their arms? You know, and I get really worked up about that stuff because people are paying you to come help them and you're literally crippling them. Mm. Um, and that to me is, is, um, I don't know if it's just like, you know, my childhood or some traumatic event or whatever, but like that really underneath it all is I'm trying to not do that to people and free people from the physiological traps that, People are supposed to be helping them. Well, stick uh, them in. Well, I think what you're doing, uh, honestly, Dave, is is beautiful because your motivation, again, going back to being awake, getting people to wake up, being alive to their surroundings, to their own bodies, um, that self awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, you just said it was 
the reason that the, the bass player dad came to you was because he saw the transformation of his kid, not just in drumming, but in other areas of his life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the beautiful thing about this holistic approach you're taking. And what drew me to you and wanted to talk to you is what a world it could be is if we could all not only live that way, but our teachers, our communicators, our business leaders had that same self-awareness. Yeah. be pretty amazing. Dude, I mean, I would love that. I mean, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's yeah. that's what I'm trying to do is it's just amazing. I think so many people, especially now, you know, with the with the medium is the message, they're just it's like trying to drink out of a fire hose. And they're just constantly getting hit with stuff. I've made a couple posts over the years on my Instagram about saying, "Hey, look guys, like it's I don't do a lot of posts like talking to my phone because I think it looks douchey, but but I was like, "Hey guys, like it's not about what you're watching. It's about setting up like a fortification around you and not letting in 99.9% .9 of the shit that's being thrown at you. Like it's about saying no to most things. Like I never watch things that are like, like sponsored ads. I never read comments sections. I never, uh, I never hit the discover but search button on Instagram I, I just never do those things because I want to take control of what I'm absorbing. And if something comes at me that I'm just like, oh, gross, like I very quickly am like, get that out of here because so right. many people don't have that ability. And then they're just susceptible to whatever, whoever has the most money and whoever is just going to shove stuff down their throat. And I think that that is the single most thing that drives me insane is with you know the way the world works and the way media works now is it's not about quality anymore it's about whoever can shove the thing down your throat enough to where you eventually just go well yeah i guess this is fine like i guess this is good like do people actually really like the kardashians or kanye west or travis barker or donald trump or they just shove down their throat so much like foie gras that they just eventually go, I guess this is my life. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it becomes, we become what, you know, what, what we behold. And, and that is, you know, another McLuhanism, but consuming something uh, for a long time, just like, again, just like the physical realm of what you're dealing with these people that come in. If you're, if you're, if you're holding something the wrong way for years and years, uh, that becomes who you part of your part of your system, your body, your arm stiff, you've got mm -hmm. scar tissue. Mm -hmm. And so that that's why in my work with media, I reject and I have rejected for a long time to say, well, these things are just tools. Um, yeah. No, they're not just tools. They actually are extensions of us in the okay. same way, in the same way that you would use a pickaxe or a or a shovel if you used it daily it'll change your body either for good or bad it'll either yeah, build that, build you it, up or tear you down yeah exactly and it's that and it's that that famous quote you know like um you know be careful what you what you you know use because it'll become you or something i'm paraphrasing that but you know in terms of like machines and computers right um like you will become the tool and yeah. and uh, and that's a straight up McLuhanism, like like media being being an extension of our nervous system, and yeah. and playing playing an instrument is exactly the same thing. Like your like your brain, once you get a little bit of experience down, like the, the sticks and the pedals, let alone the instrument itself, it, it is is an extension of your nervous system of your body. Like where I could hold a stick. Like, and I would talk to other drummers about like the way a ride cymbal feels, mm. you know, and, and someone who's like, you know, the amount of give it has, or if it's stiff or if it's too, too, um, uh, thin, it's too bendable. Like, you know, it's like the same thing of, of, you know, someone who's a golfer talking about the way a club feels impacting a ball. Um, and I think, and your brain doesn't know as far as I'm concerned, your brain doesn't know the difference between no. like that being your hand and the, and the instrument with which you're using. Um, I'm almost done with this book. You heard of this book? The hand I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. It's, it's all over the place. It's some of it's dry. Some of it's really good. Um, but he talks about, um, he has a bunch of different examples in there, but he was talking about a jeweler 
later in life who had four of his fingers cut off um, on one of his hands and he later in life became a jeweler and it's like and he's able to like come up with all these special tools to be able to make jewelry and it's like your brain is gonna figure this out some way one way or another um but yeah it's are you into douglas copeland at all a little bit yep Mm -hmm. did you read his McLuhan biography no, I haven't, but I've I have read excerpts from it. Um, oh, it's really good. Yeah, I'm. I'll, I've been meaning to pick that up. I've I've actually one book that I've been reading that goes along with what you're saying in this context right now is Gabor Mate. He, mm. he has that new book out called I think it's the Myth of Normal. Mm. He's he's making the rounds lately, but he's this 77 year old Hungarian uh, MD doctor from Canada who his whole life work is that what happens to you and specifically trauma but but just in your inner life is the source for most of the physiological and physical ailments that you have mm. and he's like people used to look at me weird and you know but he says the fact is that the st- we've had the studies and the the facts and the proof of this for for decades and he said you can find almost any study that is documented peer reviewed and published to back these things that I'm talking about he's talking about you know arthritis and mm-hmm. you know and stomach issues and cancers mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. kinds of things and he says the problem is it doesn't make it it doesn't make it from the studies to the practitioners and so you have this gap but it's a fascinating book. He's written a couple of books, but he, he's re- it's really interesting to see, hear from a doctor saying kind of the same thing you're saying from another angle. Like mm. if you don't approach these ailments holistically, you can medicate them all day long. But you know, he tells a story of after story of like getting in touch with this trauma and healing from it, and supposedly quote magically these physical ailments going away. So it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. He's been on Tim's podcast a couple of times. He was just on it recently. Um, he's someone that I is. I have books like, as you would imagine, like all over my apartment. <laughs> um, and so, so if I hear about something I find interesting, I'll just buy it and add it to the pile. But he, so it takes me a long time to get to things. But he's been someone I who's been on my the top of my list, wanting to read all of his stuff because a lot of people have recommended me to him, and and he's very much in line with the way I approach things. I mean, um. The mind is extremely powerful. Um, and for me personally, I was really struggling with health anxiety during mm-hmm. uh, during COVID. Um, not necessarily like, not necessarily because of COVID, but the environment made it sort of flare up. And I've always been a little bit of a hypochondriac. My mom's like total Queens, New York Jew, like <laughs> definitely hypochondriac. Yeah. I think some of it's a bit genetic. Um, but I had like a really, really rough time with health anxiety. Um, for the, it's, it's recently like over the last few months sort of resolved itself, but I was talking to a friend of mine who I grew up with, who's a, who's a psychotherapist when I was really going through it. And she was like, she's like, look, you know, the thing you got to think about is you're, um, you're so sensitive and you, you're really smart. So like that can work for you or in a case like this, it can work against you. And all of that sort of horsepower you have up there, you can blow your engine just as easily as, you know, blow, blowing someone's doors off. And I was like, wow, that's such an interesting observation. Um, and so, and, and where I'm going with this is, you know, I would just hop from one thing to the next, like, oh, my, my eyes are like, you know, I would just find, you find things, right? And, and every single thing that I had was all psychosomatic. Wow. At the end of the day, like, um, like, like, and, and this is sort of a sort of funny thing in retrospect. Um, when I got James Nestor's book breath, like right at the beginning of the pandemic, that completely blew my whole mind open. Um, cause I had been a mouth breather, uh, and that's something I didn't really realize. And so when I tried to start fixing my mouth breathing, have you read that? Yes, I do. It's yeah. on my bookshelf back here. 
Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So you know when you read that, if you are a mouth breather, because I'm talking all day and you can't breathe through your nose when you're talking. So um, so I was like, oh shit, I have to fix this like immediately. And when I went to fix it, I ended up, I wasn't used to the restriction of my nose. And so I ended up hyperventilating on accident for months. And my theory is, is I ended up changing the pH balance in my blood from hyperventilating and I ended up getting all these muscle spasms. Mm. And the problem with muscle spasms is when you start thinking about muscle spasms, you start causing them specifically with muscle spasms. And so it was like a really, really, really long road uh, because immediately I was like, oh, I have ALS. Like I'm going to end up in a wheelchair and like, you know, like I just went straight there, you know, I was, and, uh, and I got checked out by all these doctors and it's funny, like with, especially since we're doing the McLuhan thing, like I went in to see my doctor and he checked me out. He's like, well, I think we've got a rock and roll Woody Allen on our hands here. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you're totally fine. Um, anyway, but talking about like all this stuff, the Gabor Mate stuff and all this stuff being psychosomatic and, and also having trauma, like the traumatic childhood. I mean, really at the end of the day, like all of this stuff we're talking about comes from, uh, yeah, like trying to make everything make sense. And if you have a traumatic childhood, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot to make sense of. And I mean, thank God for, for psychotherapy and for me having a, an incredible therapist. Yeah. That's I mean, amazing. I, I think if everyone did therapy and, and, and mushrooms, uh, <laughs> maybe both at the same time, the world would be a much better place. But it, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm always hopeful and I believe in the human, the human race. And while it, it there are dark places and, and times and things you can look at, I'm hopeful in a lot of ways because there, this, these mediums and these opportunities, when you flip the coin over, you know, I know we've been talking a lot about some of the, the detriments, but the positives are we can get the word out about things like this. We can expose people to McLuhan and, and, and Gladwell and Postman and Wilbur and all these guys that, and other things that you're talking about, Nestor, that people who may not have even explored this or heard about it now. So I'm encouraged by that. And I, and I think that's a good segue to, to wrap this up. And I think I wanted to close on um, maybe a positive note, kind of a question I've been wanting to ask you. And I'm sure, I'm sure this is going to be top of mind, maybe not, but your most famous gig that you played and with what band? Mm. Your favorite. Um, when people ask me this question, I usually, I usually would answer like <clears throat> when I was playing at the Mars Volta and we opened up for Rage Against the Machine in, in South America and in Brazil, uh, that was that was pretty insane that it was just like a whole soccer stadium full of people just going nuts. Wow. That was really fun. But I just did a European tour with Weezer um, with, uh, with we were playing with um, Fall Out Boy and Green Day. So the shows were like, you know, 60, 70,000 people every night. So we played a show in at London stadium. It was like 75,000 people. That was, it's, I mean, that was one of the first records I learned how to play along to when I was 10. So it was super nostalgic for me to get to play those those tunes with those guys. And That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, maybe I'll have to change change my answer. But also to, to, to respond to what you just said, really interesting phenomenon in that people, I think, are losing the capacity to, to ingest long-form long form content, let alone read, read books, analog books. But... Um, but on the other hand, people will listen to a Joe Rogan podcast for four hours. Every I, day. I have a theory about that. I don't think people are losing their capacity to pay attention because I would, you could argue, say, well, how is Netflix so successful? How is Disney so successful? How, how are people binging for eight hours at a time? I think people are drawn to good story uh, and interesting, original content that makes people think and engages the human psyche with the human experience, which that's what a good story does, right? Um, that's what Joe Rogan does. And and I think what we can learn from that is when you um, devoid or take away that hu- full human holistic engagement, um, mm. 
that's when you lose attention because our brains aren't designed. You know, my one of my most famous uh, quotes is from E.O. Wilson. You probably know this one is mm-hmm. so the problem with humanity is that we have paleolithic brains. We have medieval institutions and godlike technology. Right. And I, I think, you know, to your point, we've got to get back in line with really who we are as human beings, which are holist, uh, holistic, spiritual, psychological feeling creatures, um, and redesign our technology and our environments to be more uh, consistent with that. So well, there's, there's also the idea of, of hot or cold or active versus passive media, right? So yep. like the podcasts and Netflix and HBO, that's all passive. Yep. So like, whereas reading a book is active. So yep. I, think, I think to be a little bit more specific with this stuff is maybe people are losing the capacity to focus and be more active yep. and have to like work through things rather than just going, here it is, sit back and sit back and relax and have it, you know. I have a friend who's, uh, he's probably in his early fifties and mid fifties, early fifties. And I was with him the other day and he said, I, Bob, I have to tell you something. I have just lost the ability to focus and read a book. He's like, I'll get reading and I'll get in the middle of a chapter after two or three pages. And my mind, I was like, I don't know what I just read. He said, he said, I'm so used to notifications on my computer and on my phone. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I to your point, that active piece of, I know he listens to podcasts, sure, but to dial in and you have to actively concentrate and process. And the mm-hmm. other thing too, that, you know, McLuhan and others talked about is with the book, um, this this perception because you talk about yourself being a sensitive person mm. this sense perception with a book is very different than the sense perception of watching a movie or mm-hmm. listening because your eyes are taking that in you're interpreting in your brain and then you're creating mental pictures that are then creating senses within you mm-hmm. um but in these other mediums, that's all done for you. All you're yes. doing is like your radio station that's taking the existing medium. You're not creating any of that with your senses like you do with a book. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, to sort of put a bow on this, it, what I'm trying to do really without consciously trying to do it, I'm just doing what I do, is trying to present this holistic way of of going through and living your life actively and trying to present people with all these different jigsaw puzzle pieces that I wish I was presented with. And even if someone gets 30% of them, that's still going to make a, you know, marked difference in their life. Um, And I'm still figuring out all this stuff too. That's why my course is a living, breathing document. And I came out with it four years ago. I've already done three editions of it because as I'm learning more, I go, Oh shit. Like I could explain this so much better or like, oops, I did that breathing thing wrong. I need to go fix that now. So it's this constant thing that I'm just adding to, and I will always add to it. And that's, that's how I live my life. That's amazing. Dave, thank you so much. Where can people learn more about you, get your course, go to your website? Yeah, just go to davebelich.com, E-L-I-T-C-H, or I'm really active on Instagram. That's kind of the only social media I'm really active on. Um, And it's just instagram.com forward slash Dave Elich. Well, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy, but I really enjoyed this and hopefully listeners did as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah.